Morning, church. Morning. How is everybody? It's not bad. A couple hand claps today. Usually it's like more in here. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I just feel like after that baptism, I could just say, let's just go home, you know? I mean, that, was that impactful or what? I love baptism. I love baptism. But we can't just go home. God has given me a message. I feel he's laid this on my heart, and so... I'm going to share with you today. And the message I want to bring to you today is about standing in awe of God. Standing in absolute awe of God. It's one thing to have a relationship with God. It's one thing to know God is real and pray to God, come to church, sing, worship with God. But it's another thing to do that from a place of absolute awe. Because I think that's where true worship comes from. That's where true worship comes from. In Matthew 18, in the beginning, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're bickering over who is the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, all right, hang on a second, guys. And he brings a kid up to him, and he says, unless you become like this child, you don't even have to worry about it. Because you're not even going to see the kingdom. And certainly what Jesus was doing was he was saying, look, you got, you're about yourself here. You have an agenda. This little child, no agenda whatsoever. And I, you know, I just imagine this little child in the midst of that bickering just staring up at Jesus going, wow. And if you know anything about little kids, if you've come to the classrooms, if you've taught in there, you know that you share a story with those kids, tell them something that God did, and their eyes get like this big. They're absolutely in awe of God. And I don't think the kids should have a monopoly on that. They have a monopoly on it. We're not as in awe of God as these little children. When Jesus pulled that child to him, that's what he was saying. When you get like that, then come talk to me. But if you're anything like me, and I know I am, you basically get up in the morning, you breathe in, you breathe out, Swing your legs out of the bed, make your way to the shower, the gym, whatever it is. Maybe you pray in the morning, maybe you have some quiet time, do a little devotion, make your way to work in traffic, maybe you communicate with God there, hopefully you're using his name the right way. <laughs> you get to work, maybe you pray there, maybe you pray over lunch, you get home, pray with your kids at dinner time, you tuck your kids in, pray with them, go to bed. And tomorrow morning, you do the same routine, over and over again. And where this message came from was at a day where I'm praying at dinner and really I was saying a prayer and I, more than anything, I just wanted to eat. You, so I rushed through the prayer. We ate. And as I sat thinking about it, I just thought, man, you know, is God boring? Has he become mundane to me? Just this routine that lacks luster? And I had to laugh about it because, no, God's not boring. He's the most creative being in the world, in the known universe. So it was me. I had lost this wow factor of God. I mean, in day-to-day -day life, you know, we have stress, the financial worries, relationship worries, job, whatever it is, sick friends, sick family members. Maybe it's you. And through the midst of your days, 
It can start becoming just like a routine. You know, this wow factor of God just gets lost in this fog of our life. And that's what happened to me. And so I thought, well, if it happened to me, maybe I'm not the only one. You know, maybe there are others that have just lost this awe of God. Just trapped in this fog, you know, of daily life. And so I'm posing, and this is, this is the question I'm posing to you, to you today. Are you in awe of God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God, are you in awe of Him? Because I sat and thought, when is the last time I really sat there in awe of God? Just like, wow, God, you blow my mind. And I can't answer that question. I don't remember the last time I did that. I don't remember the last time I did that. Now, maybe you, maybe you got up out of bed this morning, you fell face down, and were just like, I can't believe I'm breathing. God, you're awesome. And you sat there and cried tears of joy all morning long till you came here. If that's you, great. But I'm guessing that there are people in here, like me, that you just fall into this routine and God just becomes God. Routine. When you, when you, when you have a heart issue, they plug you up into this EKG, right, heart monitor, and you see that beep, beep symbol. It means you got life. You're okay. But as soon as that thing flatlines... Life has left your body. And I think that for some of us, if we hooked up a spiritual EKG to us and monitored our awe for our creator, truth is, some of us would be flatlined. And studying for this and doing this, I removed this fog. And I have like a revitalized awe for God. And I want you to have that today if you don't. So I'm going to try and get us there over the next two hours. We're going to work at this until we get it. This is not going to be a deep theological message. This, this is going to be, from my perspective, childlike. I just want to revitalize your awe for God. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, you are awesome. Awesome! God, you're awesome. I mean, I can't even believe you mess with us. When I, when I study, when I look at all that you've done, when all you did, how creative you are, you're a genius. Lord, I just pray that through this, that we just get a, 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 a poke, Lord, to get us revitalized. Get us back to a place where we just sit in awe of you. Because that is where true worship comes from. I pray this, Lord, in your awesome son's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's get after it. So, Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. Now, we know God. We know it was the Trinity because in John 1.1 it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in Genesis 1-2, he's talking about the Spirit hanging out, chilling over the world, right? All three of them from the beginning. In the beginning, God. Nothing else existed. That's it. That's what, that's what was there. Now here's what I want you to do. Empty your hands. Open them up. Close them over one another. Everybody can do this. 
I want you to think about something you want to create. Now breathe into your hands and open them up. If you've made something, stand up. And condensation does not count. Nobody created anything. Are you in awe of God? Because he did that. We know of nothing that can be created from nothing. We don't know of anything. If you look at an apple, that apple's great, but guess what, it came from something. It owes its existence to the tree. That tree owes its existence to the seed. And that seed owes its existence to the apple. Do you get it? Everything owes its existence to something else except for God. Are you in awe of him? Out of nothing, God made this. What is this? It's Minnesota. Minnesota is big. Is Minnesota big? Minnesota's massive. I drove up to Camp Sandy twice in a week. It's big. And that isn't even all the way up there. You get up to the Boundary Waters, it's like a 36-hour drive. Minnesota is massive. God made that out of nothing. He made it out of nothing. This right here, this is Earth. This big marble floating in the sky. That is Earth. Do you know that the majority of the pictures of Earth have to be pieced together in order to get a full picture like that? It's too big! Astronauts in orbit, satellites, they're too close. They gotta piece it together. Earth is 25,000 miles around the belly, 24,860 if you go from bottom to top. It's massive. 25,000 miles. I drive with my kids 450 miles to Chicago. By the time we get there, I'm looking for a way to inflict pain that won't show up on a police report. <laughs> 25,000 miles is massive. God made that out of nothing. Out of nothing. What's interesting, what's interesting about the Earth, the astronauts in Apollo 8, when they were going around, trying to launch around the moon, they get the first real full picture of Earth. It was broadcast to a billion people. And the first words that they uttered over that broadcast, in the beginning, God. The awe that they had when they saw that. Just crazy. What else could you say but in the beginning? Out of nothing, he made this. This is our sun. It's actually a star. But we call it our sun. 960 thousand earths can fit inside of that thing. 960,000 earths can fit inside the sun. Massive. God is amazing and creative. This is one of my favorite stars. It's called Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is pretty awesome. Betelgeuse is really big. Our sun is very, very not so uh, uh, large in the scheme of things. Betelgeuse is 262 trillion Earths can fit inside of that. I know you can't wrap your mind around 262 trillion. Our national debt is 19 trillion. They say we'll never have it paid off. It's too big a number. 262 trillion Earths can fit inside of that thing. Let me give you an idea of what that looks like, because I know it's, it's hard to imagine. If Earth was a golf ball, if Earth was a golf ball, you'd have to go down to US Bank Stadium, where the Vikings play, fill that stadium up, bottom to top, with golf balls. Listen, church. You'd have to do that 3,000 times. Massive! Massive! God made that out of nothing! And that's not even the biggest. 
This is Canis Majoris. You couldn't even get a whole picture on there to see where the sun is or it wouldn't show up. It's just a tiny little dot. You see where it says our sun? That thing is massive. Try seven quadrillion Earths or 28 times the last star I showed you. Massive. God made all this out of nothing. And speaking of stars, this is our view from Earth. In the northern southern hemisphere, in the celestial hemispheres, about 6,000 stars you can see with your own eye. Which means if you're standing on a hemisphere, you get to see about 3,000 at the most. But it was enough for the psalmist to write this. He said, when I consider the work, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, and how you've hung them in place, what is man that you would be mindful of him? Humans that you would care for me. He was only seeing 3,000 stars and he was out of his mind in awe about how awesome God is. He didn't have a Hubble telescope. He had no idea what was beyond that. But it was enough for him. Are you in awe of God? Out of nothing, he made this. This is our solar system. You know all the planets. You know they left Pluto off now. I disagree. Pluto's real. I still teach my kids Pluto's a planet. I don't care what they say in school. I'm not going to let go of something that I held on to in elementary school, one of the few things I retained, just for these scientists today. I'm not going to do it. Did you know that Pluto is so far away? God made our solar system so big that Pluto, since the time we found it to today, has yet to make a full revolution around the sun. Mind-blowing. You, you can't even understand it. It's crazy. If our solar system was a quarter, I, did, I have a quarter, Here's the Milky Way galaxy. Milky Way galaxy, way big. Had to put a UR here because you don't even know where our solar system is. We're not even in the middle of that thing. We're like way out on the fringe. It's like we just got invited to the party just because. <laughs> if the solar system was a quarter, so if I could fit the sun and all the planets on this quarter, the Milky Way galaxy would be the size of the entire North American continent. Massively big. God is so creative. How do we look at that and just not stand in awe of him? He's crazy creative. When we talk space, we can't, I know, I know there's carpenters in here. I know you guys like to use tape measures. They're useless out here. We have to talk about light years. Light years is light traveling at like 180,000 miles an hour. And it goes 5.8 trillion miles in a year. Our Milky Way galaxy, 100,000 light years across. That's just our galaxy. It's just our galaxy. Let me tell you a little something about this picture right here. Scientists took the Hubble telescope. They aimed it at a space that was pitch black in outer space, said nothing is out there. So they aimed the Hubble at it. They were right, nothing was there. Scientists said, let's just keep the lens open. Let's let as much light in as we can, and we'll see if it does anything that way. This shows up. After a long time of keeping that lens open, this shows up. This is called the ultra-deep, Hubble ultra-deep. This picture, those lights that you're seeing are not stars. They're galaxies. They're galaxies in a spot this big that we saw nothing in. God is amazing, church. He's amazing. You know why the National Star Registry, you guys heard those commercials where you can put your name on a thing and they'll name a star after you? They do that. 
They can have a Pastor Joel star. You can have it named after you. Why? Because there's 7 billion people on our planet. There's hundreds and hundreds of billions of stars. If you had 100 people sign up on that thing and pay the 50 bucks or whatever it is, you'd never fill the sky. Scientists are tired of naming stars A4189. They want names. Where do you think Beetlejuice came from? Boredom. Boredom. In 1980, Carl Sagan, he's an author and a scientist, he said, I imagine that there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on the Earth's beaches. All of the Earth's beaches. You pick up a handful of sand, there's 10,000 grains in there. All of the Earth's beaches, more stars. They laughed it off. Turns out he was right. There's about 10 stars that we know of per grain of sand. The math is so big, don't even waste your time. It's crazy. But that's how awesome God is. Look at that picture. That's amazing. In Isaiah 40 and 26, author says, Lift up your eyes and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatest of his might, because he is strong in power. Not one single star is missing. Hundreds and hundreds of billions, and God knows their name, where they're at, and what they're doing. Are you in awe of God? I mean, that is insane. You can't even wrap your mind around this stuff. And I'm not sharing it to make you feel small. You are small. I can't help that. I'm small. We're small. Author, author said, what is man that you'd be mindful of him? Look at this. But I'm telling it to you, I want you to have a childlike, restored awe of God. That's why I'm sharing it. Adam, uh, 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 let's go. Well, let's go back. We'll just stay there for a sec. If you think that God spent this much time on all of these stars, all of these galaxies, things that have no soul, you're crazy. He has spent far more time on you, far more creativity, far more creativity. In Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send his disciples out into the field. He says, look, I'm sending you out among the wolves. That's pretty, that's pretty intense, right? He said, but don't worry about it. You know that a couple sparrows are, are, are less than a penny. You know that. And, and God doesn't even let one fall to the ground without knowing about it. I got you covered. The Lord knows how many hairs you have on your head. And you could think, eh, it's kind of like a figuratively speaking. No, it's not. He just told you hundreds and hundreds of billions of stars. He knows their name and where they're at. Do you think that he does not know how many hairs you have on your head? He does. He absolutely does. Jesus is saying, look, if God cares this much about a sparrow, it's like a rat with wings, and it doesn't have a soul like cats, then guess what? <laughs> he cares far more about you. He spent far more time and detail on you. The only thing he made down here with a soul. Man, he cares about you. In either direction you go, whether it's the vastness of space or the fine detail, the super ultra-fine detail, we always think we've come to the end until we find something more powerful to explore with. God is just continually blowing our minds if we're paying attention. If we're paying attention. 
We used to think that the smallest thing known was a cell. It was a cell. We had a microscope that could get down to like, there's a cell, I think that's the, that's the building block. There it is, that's life. Until we cracked the cell open, we had, we had a method that was able to explore deeper. We cracked that cell open and look at that. It's like a carnival in there. I don't even know what you would call some of these rides, but I wanna go there. Look at all the stuff going on in that cell. And we used to think that the cell was the smallest was the smallest component until we had stronger technology and guess what we found out there's a such thing as molecules molecules are really really small and they thought that was it and then they found out something else as the technology grew they said no that molecules aren't it it's the cell or excuse me the atom it's the atom you guys remember the atom from school right electron proton nucleus well, they smash the atom to find that stuff. They're like, the cell's not even the small, or the atom's not even the smallest thing. Maybe it's the elect, maybe, maybe it's the neutrons and protons are the smallest thing now. Until they broke open those and found these things called quarks. They're like made up of three quarks each. What's a quark? I don't know. It's really, really tiny. Because if you take that, if you take that atom and you look at one of those protons, if that proton was four inches, that's what that's saying. If the proton was four inches, that atom would be six miles wide. God is extremely detailed. Extremely detailed. Are you in awe of him? They think, they think now that there's a smaller thing than that. They think it's called a Planck length. It's a number 16. It's got 34 zeros in front of it and a decimal point. They'll find out that's not the smallest thing either. I don't know what the smallest thing is. I just know that God's amazing. And I can't believe this stuff is even in existence. I can't. Back in the 1860s, there was a Swiss uh, uh, chemist who was studying the cell. He was studying the cell, and in that nucleus right there is like, I think I found something. Deoroxynucleic acid. Deoroxyribonucleic acid. So I think I found something. I don't even know what it is. I just think it's going to be really, really big. DNA. That's what that is. He found it in 1860. Crazy. This is kind of what it looks like. This is your DNA structure. There's a string of phosphate on there. There's a string of sugar. And all those little ladder steps in between are four bases. That's it. We all have the same thing in our system. And what DNA is, it's like the ultimate code book for our life. It's, there's never been an owner's manual that's been made as deep and intense as your owner's manual. It has blown the scientists' minds. Like, how can there be so much information stored on this thing? If your body has 100 trillion cells, each one of those cells, except the red blood ones, every one of those cells contains DNA, strand of DNA found in the nucleus, your code book, everything about you. It tells you about how you grow, talks about your body, how you survive, and it tells your body and talks about how it reproduces. All of that information is contained on your DNA. And if you took that one cell and you took that DNA out of that one cell and you stretched it out, it would be as tall as me. I told you how tiny that cell was. Six feet of information God has packed away into something you can't even see. Are you in awe of God? 
If, if you took all those 100 trillion cells in your body and you took all the DNA out and lined it up end to end, you'd be dead. <laughs> that part is true. What is also true is that that strand would go all the way to Pluto and back. You have that much information stored in your body. God cares so much about you, the creature, the beings with a soul, that he has stored so much information in you, you'll never be able to figure it all out. Ever. One gram of DNA can hold 455 exabytes of data. Any computer nerd, uh, IT guys <laughs> in here? That's a lot of data, I think. There's a computer, a, a cloud computing company called EMC. They calculate there's 1.8 zettabytes of information in all time. So everything from Pluto to Socrates to all the way up through Beyonce's new album, uh, every Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, tweet book, post you ever took, a selfie, it's all in there. All that information. And they say you can hold it all in a teaspoon of your DNA. That's how much information God has wired into you. Fascinating. On a side note, 99.9% .9 of all of our DNA is the same. It's the same. That means 0.1% difference between us. Kind of makes you wonder where our prejudices come from. Fascinating stuff. Psalm 139, 13 says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I gotta be honest with you, every time I hear that, every time I hear that, I think of this. You remember your grandma used to knit this stuff? Or maybe you guys do? Now don't come up to me after service saying, that's really not knit. That's county cross-stitch or whatever you guys do. That's just what comes to my mind. When I hear, he knit me together, that's all I can picture. But that's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. A genome and the DNA, it's your entire construction. It's entire, its entire sequence is the genome. Three billion bits of information. You guys want to see something awesome? Who wants to see the human genome? God says, I knit you together. He wasn't kidding. I told you that DNA helix, there was four base components. Each one of those colors represents one of those components. Listen to me. He knit you together. Are you in awe of him? That to me is fascinating. It was so fascinating. When I saw that, I was struck. I told Kirsten, I'm like, you've got to find somebody that can go knit some of these. Just put something knit together. I don't care. I need 300 of them. Found some lady, like 60 bucks in a week. She was like, here you go. So you have one to take with you today. Hope you got one. If you didn't, uh, they should have some at the doors. Sequencing the first human genome cost $1 billion in 13 years to complete that. Reading one, the first human's DNA that they tried to do, $1 billion, 13 years later, God, in a second, blew that into existence. Are you in awe of him? Because I look at that and I can't figure it out. How did it take us so long and God just spoke the word and it happened because he's awesome. That's why. This is the last slide I'm going to show you today. Are you in awe of him, church? If you're not by now, I'm, I just really hope that this would do it for you. 
because I want you to know something. He, didn't, he wasn't lonely. You know, God didn't have to create us. God, Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they were fine. They are fine. They're fine up there. They weren't like, this is our 6,000 game of Yahtzee. We need something else to do. They didn't have to do that. But he created us. He created us. And Adam and Eve, once they sinned, do you know how easy it would have been for God to just say, forget it. I'm done. This, this experiment is off the chain. Not good. We're just going to sit back, kick our feet up on Canis Majoris, get some popcorn and watch Netflix. Forget it. We'll, just, we'll admire the universe ourselves. He didn't do that. Listen, God did not have to send Jesus to die for you and me. He didn't have to do it. It was his only son. I have three kids. Can I be truthful with you? I wouldn't sacrifice one of them for any of you in here. I don't love you enough. I don't. Some of you are going to be like, well, you got three. You could probably part with one. <laughs> I'm not going to. I mean, if I had to pick, well. <laughs> it was his only son. And he did it for us. He did it for you. He had Jesus suffer on that cross for me. And this is the best part. He had him suffer on that cross for people who despise him. Are you in awe of him? Because I am. And I want you to get there. It's crazy. I look at that picture and I'm just, wow. We sin every single day. Adam, you know what I mean? We, we, Adam and Eve sinned. It was, a, it was a disaster. But we do it every day. And every single day, God says, my grace is new. I'm in awe of that. I'm in awe of that. Because I'm not deserving. I'm trying to get you to be in awe about a God who defies our laws of physics. A God who walks on water. I'm talking about a God who took water and spoke over it and made wine out of it. And not just cheap wine. Like this was the best wine any of that at that party ever tasted. I'm talking about a God who with his words calmed the waves of a mighty storm. I'm talking to you about a God you should be in awe of because of how he shut the lion's mouths up in the den. I'm talking to you about a God who showed up in a furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, I got this. Walking around talking like nothing was going on. Comes out smelling not a thing of smoke. I'm talking to you about a God who can take eyes that haven't worked in ages and restore sight. I'm talking to you about a God who can touch a leper. A God who says, take up your mat and walk. Are you in awe of that? Because I am. I am. Job 38 is crazy, man. You guys ever read like the end of Job? That is the worst, I'm going to put you in your place moment in the history of the Bible. Probably anywhere. Job gets out of line. God says, hold on. 
Where were you? Do you remember that? I wish I could memorize that whole thing. Where were you when I stretched out the measuring line of the earth? Where were you when the morning stars sang? And I always thought that weird because I thought, well, morning stars don't sing. Morning stars don't sing, but I know this by, by, by even just doing this study that he knows the numbers of hair on my head. He knows the hundreds and hundreds of billions of stars. He knows their name, where they're at, what they're doing. Not hearing me. He said the morning stars sing. And so I believe it. You know what they found out? Scientists take their tools. They've got measuring tools. They, how they measure different things. They found that by taking these instruments and pointing at things, they can hear sound. Things like stars make sound. Do you know what else they have instruments for? They can point, things, uh, point at things that just have color, and they can hear the sounds of color. Red is different than green, and so on. Do you know what that means? That stones make a sound. Stones make a sound. So when Jesus was coming in on his triumphal entry, and all his disciples were worshiping him and praising him. And the Pharisees were like, hey, shut them up. And Jesus said, oh, I could. I could shut them up. But if I did, these rocks would cry out. What Jesus was saying is, they're already crying out, but I'm going to let you hear it. Are you in awe of him? Are you in awe of him? Psalm 33.8 says, Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You're an inhabitant. May you stand in awe of him. I hope it revitalizes you. I get to that place where worship is just, wow! I'm not just singing a song because there's words on the screen. I'm singing it because I have to. I can't not. If all of creation is screaming out to him, worshiping him, I want to be a part of that. Don't be left out. Don't be left out.